As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Welcome back or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss U.S. Olympic athletes, adult film stars, Sportsman Drag Racing. I am your co-host, Luke Bogacki. I am not, I will not be joined this week by Big Jed, Jared Pennington. Jed is off on business. We could not get coordinated, so I apologize. This, this will undoubtedly not be as entertaining as usual, but don't turn it off. Um, I think we've got a good show. I'm going to run through uh, some recent results, give some takes on that. We've got a special guest joining us that I think you guys are going to love. Be a relatively short show, um, but it will be a good one. No live either this week. So our uh, our Facebook live audience, apologies. Jed's kind of my Jed's kind of my my safety blanket here, right? Like I just just don't feel comfortable queuing up the mic live solo just yet. It's so much easier. Jed, Jed can just pick up the slack. You don't have to be that prepared, right? So with that in mind, we've got some, some stories from the weekend uh, that I no doubt want to touch, touch on, but at least for me, um, there's only one place to start this show. And that is uh, to bid farewell, to say rest easy to my friend, uh, mentor, Mark Horton. Mark uh, passed away uh, just after um, we had recorded last week's show. And for those that don't know, Mark is a former IHRA world champion. He was originally the co-founder of American Race Cars. Um, Mark and I were close. I know that uh, I know that I've I've told portions of this story here on the podcast before. So if I'm repeating myself, I, I apologize, but. I first met Mark Horton when my father and I drove to Stanton, Michigan uh, for the IHRA national event. That's dating me a little bit, right? Like when's the last time that uh, Mid-Michigan Motorplex hosted an IHRA national event? This is two plus decades ago. And um, Jason Lynch was driving for, uh, for Mark. He was flying Summit Colors at the time. 
And uh, I, I knew Jason a little bit. My dad knew Jason a little bit. And uh, I think he had introduced us to Mark. Um, Mark, Mark, he took a, he took a liking to my dad uh, that weekend. And as a result of that relationship, he and I kept in touch, at least on some level, for probably the next decade. And when Mark and Travis Colangelo partnered to launch American race cars, obviously in the, I don't know, probably the last five, six, seven years, Travis took that over exclusively. Mark had kind of removed himself from the business. But when those two partnered to to launch American race cars, uh, mid 2000s, the timing was actually just, just perfect. I had just left my job at Huntsville Engine. I was trying to start a, a marketing company and Mark and I got together. I did some work for him. I wrote some stories and press releases and did a bunch of brochures, you know, your typical kind of marketing gig. And um, during that time, I guess when I had, when I had quit my job, I sold the the dragster that I owned to kind of fund the, uh, the, the start of this business, you know, this, this life on my own. And all I had was my, my little Vega. And it was, it was a stretch even at that, you know, it was all that I could afford and probably, you know, thoughts of giving up racing altogether. And every time that I would talk to Mark, he would say, Hey man, are you, are you ready for a race car yet? Are you, are you ready for a new dragster yet? And I'm like, Mark, and I, I'm not, not in, not, no, I'm not, I'm not in any position to do that. This and that, like, I didn't just tell him I was broke, but I was broke. Right. And every time we talk, hey, you ready for you ready for a new car? You ready for a new car? And then finally, I just came clean one day, and I'm like, look, man, I if if the time comes that I'm ready to get into a dragster, like you will be the phone call, right? But I am not in that position. Like I can't afford to do that right now. And the silence on the other end of the line for a second, and then he says, Luke, I didn't ask you if you were ready to buy a car. I was ready. I, I asked if you were ready for a dragster yet. And it starts this conversation that, I mean, full transparency, I think I've shared the story before. Mark Horton owned the first three, three, three American race cars, dragsters that I drove, right? Nobody knew that at the time. Um, that was Mark, I guess, you know, trying to get his business going, but on my end, like helping a guy out that I had no business. I, I, I'm not, that's not to say that I, my, my life, my career wouldn't have ended up on a similar trajectory to, to where I am today, but it wouldn't have happened near as quickly. Like that made, that man made a lot of things happen for me. I could not have done that at that time without his belief in me. And from what I've got, like he never wanted public credit for any of that, but I am not the only person that he helped in that regard by a long shot. Like I've heard so many stories of him kind of going out of his way, believing in people in a lot of cases where he didn't necessarily have anything to gain, right? He just wanted to see people succeed, right? I think I've told the story on here about Carl Watts, good friend of mine, uh, Alabama racer, Carl had told a, a similar story like years and years ago, he would chase the IHRA points when he was not in financial position really to do that. Like in his words, he's like, I shouldn't have been racing much less tour in the country. Um, you know, chasing that. This is I back when IHRA, you had to go to all the races. And, um, he told me a story where Mark had, a, uh, you know, this, whatever the latest, greatest delay box was, maybe it was the first delay box, like with a throttle stop built into it, you know, a throttle stop timer added to it and this and that. And he's given Carl all the lowdown and how it works. Carl's like, man, that's awesome. I'd, I'd love to have one of those one day, but you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty strapped and that's, that's just not in the cards for me. And Carl goes home and a week later, 
the the brand new, you know, whatever it was, delay box shows up on his doorstep and he knew it, it came from Mark, right? And that wasn't the only instance of that. And again, he just did that a lot and never wanted any credit for it. He never wanted attention for the role that he played for me, the role that he played for Carl, the role that he played for countless other racers. And that's just in the racing venue. Like, I don't know, maybe Mark was paying it forward. Maybe, maybe he just wanted to see others succeed, but I, I always got the impression that doing things like that, it, it made him happy, right? It was, it was genuinely who he was. And beyond the racing, beyond the business, beyond the insight, the assistance that he offered to me and so many others, Mark was my friend. Like, I am just, I'm proud to be able to say that. I spent many a night in the spare bedroom at his house. We shared many a meal over the years. Oftentimes he was the chef and he was damn good at that, right? Meals were, they were always a vehicle for for conversation. And I think that above all else is what I'll remember. Mark had a a unique presence about him. He was one of those people that you knew he had a lot going on. And yet when you were in conversation, you just got this sense that you were the only thing that mattered in the world. And that's not common. Mark, he wasn't a, he wasn't a BSer. Like he cut right to the chase, right? He didn't always, he didn't always tell me what I wanted to hear, but he always told me what I needed to hear. He always did it with love, right? He knew my kids' names. He asked about my wife. He asked about my mom. He asked about any of my friends that he'd met anywhere along the way. He remembered all of them. And he listened. That's, bad as I had to say it, that's a rarity. And when the man spoke, I, like many, just tried to take notes. Um, the last time I spoke with Mark was a couple months back. I'd called him, check on him. And I could tell, you know, and I'd, and I'd heard some stories. I, I knew he was in bad shape, right? But if I didn't know in that conversation, he would never let me see it. He'd never let me hear it. He, dude, was so, in that conversation, we probably talked for half an hour that morning. He was so optimistic. He was so grateful. He seemed so hopeful. And I don't think it was an act, right? It was absolutely inspirational. Like I legit thought about that conversation for days after the fact. And obviously I'm thinking about it now and I've think, thought about it here in the week since his, his passing. That was the last time that I spoke with Mark. I tried to reach out a handful of times, uh, never connected. He never called me back. Like maybe, maybe that's because he was struggling, suffering. Maybe he wasn't able, but honestly, just knowing Mark, I prefer to think it's because he knew that in that last conversation, he knew he left me smiling and he wanted that to be my lasting memory. So Mark, I will miss you, my friend. I do miss you. You'll never, you'll never know truly how much you impacted my life. Rest easy, my friend. Looking back, Jedless, looking back on the week that was Zach Fulcher. Zach freaking Fulcher. Unquestionably the hymnist of the weekend. And it's not even close. Those of you that are familiar with Zach Fulcher, uh, and, I, and I think most of the racers here in this area in the, in the Midwest are, most would, would attest to the fact. That it's actually, it's come up in conversation several times at the racetrack. This, this dude has been a big win 
waiting to happen for a while. But to run himself in the final of a 50 grander? That's what Zach did at the TB Promotions 50K at Killcare. I mean, that is not unprecedented to run yourself in the final of, of, of an event of that magnitude. We all know Jeff Sarah did it just a few years back at Columbus at the Summer Fling with a $100,000 paycheck on the line. Zach just did it for 50. At that level, I think they're two of two. Like, I don't, loyal listeners, please correct me if, I, if I'm wrong, if I'm missing someone. We're talking big dollar bracket race, 50 grand to win or more. Run yourself in the final. I don't think anybody else has ever done it. I think the list is Jeff Sarah and Zach Fulcher. I was thinking about this. I've seen people get close. Um, the year that years ago, Mike Brumfield, when he won the OG 50 at Stanton, Michigan, I believe that was 2008. I don't have it in front of me, but I, I think that's right. Brumfield had two entries in at four. And actually, if, if memory serves, elected to run himself in advance one to the final that, that he ultimately won. Um, Scotty Richardson, I know I've talked about that on the podcast here before. Um, Rockingham used to host, a, Steve Irwood put on the, he called it the Millennium Million. I think it only happened two or three times. Scotty dominated the entire weekend, but specifically in the million in the big show, he had two entries in it for, and I believe he also had to run himself before falling to, to Jonathan Clay in that final round. I, again, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think anybody's done it, but Zach Fulcher and Jeff Sarah, and that's pretty freaking elite company. So an incredible run by Zach Fulcher. He went deep in the races leading up to the 50 that obviously dominated the 50 he's been flirting with this for a couple of years um but to break through on that level what an incredible night for the young man from kentucky and the other story from Kilcare, chris bear like i it's it's the it's not a broken record i keep repeating myself zach fulcher he was the himmest of the weekend chris bear he's the himmest him of 2023 and I don't think it's close. He's the driver of the year. We might, I mean, short of someone just going on an unprecedented run at this string of big dollar events coming up, I think I'm ready to give Chris the crown, right? He wins the final day at Killcare, the TB Promotions event, 25 grander. But Oh, by the way, Mikey Bloomfield got the win um, on the first 25 grander of the weekend. So he, he joins that fray too. But Chris Bear, like just if you're keeping score at home and and I may miss something here because it's a laundry list of what Chris Bear has accomplished this weekend behind the wheel of the door truck. Like Chris Bear was a dragster racer exclusively for as long as I can remember. Now the dragster doesn't come out. I'm not sure he still owns one. Dude just runs the S10 and beats the hell out of everybody. He owned the weekend at the ace race back in June, I believe. Maybe May. Won two 25 granders plus run it up a five grander that weekend. He absolutely owned the Mega Bucks weekends at uh, weekend at National Trail Raceway in Columbus. Uh, three 10 granders. He won two of them. I believe the last day he either semied or quartered. Like he flirted with running the weekend. He won the opening 10 grander at the Mid Michigan Motorplex uh, World Super Pro Challenge. And then obviously he won again another 25 grander Sunday at Killcare. He had two entries in at eight at that race like he nearly went zach fulcher on him and at least to my knowledge all of those accomplishments that i just listed that i just rattled off it's august chris bear's done all of that 
to my knowledge, without racing prior to May. And rarely leaving the state of Ohio. He's just one everywhere he's been. If there's a there's a quote I I, uh, I read Steve Martin's like the comedian Steve Martin, it's a memoir biography whatever you said about you know his 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 experience in in comedy and his life. And there's a quote that stood out to me. He said uh, quote I I learned a lesson that it was easy to be great. Again, this is coming from Steve Martin. He said every entertainer has a night when everything's clicking. These nights are accidental and statistical like lucky cards in poker, you can count on them occurring over time. What was hard was to be good, consistently good, night after night, no matter what the abominable circumstances. The way that I take that as it applies to racing is if you do this long enough, most of us are fortunate to have our days, perhaps even uh, our, our weekends where Everything falls into place. It's happening in slow motion. She can't do anything wrong. But what Chris Bear is doing, like, forget the wins. He's putting himself in position to win seemingly every event that he's at. Obviously, it's falling into place in the late rounds more often than, than typical. But it seems like every time you pull up the results, every time you turn on the live feed, you see Chris Bear rolling around the corner into the water box with... 10 cars left, eight cars left, five cars left. He ain't winning all of them, but he is putting himself in a position to win just about every time, right? It's one thing to be great occasionally. This dude is good, like at a high, high level of good, seemingly every time that he pulls in the gate. And that, that is really, really hard to do. Other notes from the weekend come from the zoo. Brainerd International Raceway, NHRA national event. The big story from Brainerd, how about Clint Geisy? Yes, I have been mispronouncing Clint's name for months, if not years. Clint Geisy. He's the story, but honestly, he's he's today's special guest. So stay tuned for that. I won't dive too deep into what Clint accomplished. He won top dragster uh, at Brainerd. He came in, he, he led the points most of the season. Uh, was usurped uh, a week ago by Dylan Haug. We talked about that here on the show. Clint made a 25-hour one-way tow from his home in Washington to Brainerd, Minnesota, furthest he'd ever been to run a race. Guess what he did, Jed? Guess what he did, Jed? Yeah, Clint Geisy, he won the damn race. We're going to talk about it here with Clint in a little bit. Other stories from Brainerd, another Division Six runner, the 2022 Super Comp World Championship went home to Division Six. went to Jim Glenn. After last weekend, I'm ready to say the 2023 title, it goes through Division Six, goes through Jim Glenn. Yeah, the reigning national champ gets the victory in Brainerd, nearly doubled. Uh, he was a semifinalist in Top Dragster. And the victory, while it doesn't put him on top of the heap, it certainly bolsters Jim Glenn into the fight for a back-to-back -back Super Comp National Championship, which brings me to trivia time. Yep, no Jed. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cycle back right before the Clint Geisy interview and provide the answer to this. Back-to-back -back National Championships in the Super Comp category 
you would think that in a class with so much parity and so many great drivers, that that would be an absolute rarity, right? You'd think nobody, maybe maybe one person, maybe maybe two drivers back to back national championships in that class. Like to that point, I don't think of super comp and super gas as being all that different. In fact, I would argue that there should be more parity in super comp. Supergas has never had a back-to-back national champion. In fact, only three drivers have ever won more than one Supergas national championship. And none of them have ever won three. Well, until Sherman Adcock does this year anyway. But in Supercom, the back-to-back titles, what Jim Glenn is vying for, it's happened four times in history. So trivia time. Name the four drivers who own back-to-back NHRA Supercomp national champions. The championships, four drivers. You got, I don't know, five, 10 minutes. Think on that. So as of right now, I mentioned Jim Glenn, not yet at the top of the heat. Tanner Theobald holds that honor. He is at the top of the heat. He's got 579 points, which is a really solid score in Supercomp. With his victory, Jim Glenn just at 453. So he's still more than 100 points behind Tanner Theobald. However, the next divisional event that Jim Glenn, Glenn attends, he gets to count full. Even at that, if he wins that race, he is still two rounds behind Tanner Theobald. So you go, well, how can you say the title goes through Jim Glenn? Well, Tanner Theobald is in the driver's seat. He is the odds-on favorite right now, to be clear. But his position, Theobald's position, is not as dominant as that discrepancy makes it sound, right? Tanner Theobald has been so solid throughout the season that as good as that is, it makes it very difficult to improve significantly going forward. Case in point, Tanner Theobald, he's attended eight events this season. He's failed to stage for round four once in eight attempts. That's the reason that he has such a massive lead. It's also the reason that it could prove difficult to get over the hump, if you will. The point system favors winning events. And as solid, as good as Tanner Theobald has been to this point, he's only been able to do that once. Now, he's got plenty of races left, but again, like he's basically got to see a fourth round win light to improve at all. So he is the leader. He is in the driver's seat. He is the odds on favorite. But this title is more wide open than it appears on paper. And Jim Glenn is among the competitors at the top of that list looking to unseat one Tanner Theobald also in that mix. How about John LaBoost Jr.? How about Trené Crisoni? Trené, runner-up to the aforementioned Jim Glenn in Brainerd. Devin Eisenhower, another former national champion, very much in the mix in Supercomp. In fact, I went down the list a little bit. If you're looking for a, a long shot to make a run at that Supercomp title, Matt Driscoll? It's hard to say he's a long shot. He's a former Supercomp national champion. I, I say long shot because I don't envision a scenario in which Matt's going to even make hit the road enough to make a run at this. But if he did, he is in position. He'd have to get hot, but he's certainly capable. Because if you're looking down the list a little bit, it looks like it's those five drivers that I just mentioned. If you want to look down the list a little bit, I'll call uh I'll call Matt Driscoll as a as a bit of a long shot. Continuing on from Brainerd, how about this competition eliminator final? It was deja vu all over again. One year ago, at this very event, Brett Spear got the win in comp over Bruno Massel Jr. We talked about it here on the show because the final round was epic. 
I think Spear was 38 on the tree. Bruno was 41. So they're within three thousandths on the tree. This was a year ago. They both run 62 under the index. That's a stellar run in Comp Eliminator. Spear gets the victory by just four thousandths of a second. By judging off the mile per hour, it looks as if both drivers were wide damn open to make that incredible run happen in 2022. Fast forward one year, the same two drivers in the same two cars in the final round of the same event. Now, they did swap lanes. I looked it up, okay? <laughs> and, and that said, like, maybe it's, maybe it's a right lane thing. This time around, they're 14 and 20 on the tree. Stel Keep in mind, competition eliminator bottom balled in cars that are going in the sixes to low sevens. Like that's a spot that does not exist. They're 14 and 20 on the tree. Slight advantage to Spear. Spear then runs 61 under the index. That's permanent index. And loses to Bruno Hassel's 65 under. A year ago, Jed and I talked about how Bruno made a really good comp run. He was 40 and 62 under, and he lost. That was a really good comp run. This year, Brett Spears run, it was more gooder. That's what Jed would say. He was 14 and 61 under for the L. Decisively. It wasn't that close. More importantly, at least for Bruno Massel, this win may have cemented Bruno's fourth championship. He has led the national points all season, but as we've talked about, not with a score that would traditionally stand up, right? This was his final attempt on the national level to better a semifinal loss. With the win, he's now tallied a perfect national score with three victories on the season. Now, two of those were short rounds. They were just uh, four-round events, so that, that dings him slightly in as far as a points total. But as of right now, he leads the national championship points chase by over 100 points. He sits at 594. He has just one divisional remaining where he'll be trying to improve a round three loss. Now, at this point, it certainly doesn't look like anyone is primed to top that 594-point mark that Bruno Massel has set, assuming that he doesn't improve at all. And there's a pretty good chance that he will. But that 594 is a precarious number. And it's, quite, to be quite frank, it's why Bruno was willing to take some permanent index to do whatever needed done to get this win. He needed those 21 points. He needed that national event win, that perfect national event score on the ledger if he hopes for this to hold up. But again, 594, it doesn't look like anyone's going to catch that. There's not an obvious contender that you say, well, he's really got to watch out for, for that guy or that girl. But just historically... Ryan Pretty won last year's competition eliminator world championship with 604 points. That's 10 more than Bruno has right now. A year prior, Bruno was the champ with 657. Craig Bourgeois, the year prior to that, 631 in 2020. That's the COVID year where most scores were down. Prior to that, Frankie Aragona, 718. Right? There's no score in the 500s. I had to go all the way back to 2014, nearly a decade ago, for the last time that the points to that the national championship was won by a driver with less than 600 points. That driver, David Rampey, he won it with 591. Trivia time, part two. David Rampey was your 2014 competition eliminator world champion. Who finished number two? 2014 competition eliminator. 
you got you have less time because I'm about to wrap this up. You've, you've got a couple minutes to think about that. Number two in comp behind David Rampey, circa 2014. Circling back to Brainerd, Ben Lyon got the victory in Stock Eliminator. Jed kind of called it. He said there's going to be more lines in Stock Eliminator than you knew existed. Ben leaves with the trophy. Mike Manns gets the win in Superstock for a second consecutive season at his hometown national event. And Team Seafoam, Team Seafoam showed out at Brainerd. Shouts to Steve Stockton, his top sportsman national event victory, his first of his career. Shouts to Donnie Durenberger, whose Super Gas national event victory was the second national event win in his career in the same car, by the way, that he drove to the Super Street victory a couple weeks prior in Topeka. So Donnie Durenberger, red hot. Shouts to Chris Bishop and Tim Seafoam. Team Seafoam putting together a huge winner and a big, big weekend. Trivia time answers. This one was a little bit tricky because it is the same answer for both, sort of. Your 2014 competition eliminator, number two finisher. What's Scotty Richardson? Yeah, I remember he had that little little brief foray in comp in the Vinnie Barone backed, Vinnie Barone owned machine. Um, Scotty, that's that's one of the things that's just so freaking impressive about Scotty Richardson. I believe he owns six national championships to his credit. He's also finished second at least three times, this being one. I know he finished second twice on tiebreakers like think about what that man has done and what could have been if a couple more rounds fall his way along the way not only was scotty the uh number two finisher in competition eliminator in 2014 he's also one of the answers to the other trivia time back-to-back super comp championships scotty was the first to do it i don't have the years in front of me i believe it was 93 and 94 if i'm off there so be it the other three super comp drivers to accomplish that feat how about Sean Langdon, Gary Stinnett, and most recently, Christopher Dodd. Again, I don't have yours in front of me, so don't shoot the messenger. I'm gonna I'm gonna take a shot at this. I believe Langdon would have been 07, 08. Stinnett, I'm almost certain, was 10 and 11. And then obviously Christopher Dodd, 20 and 21. Four times. Uh Supercomp National Champion has gone back to back. Jim Glenn um vying to become number five. All right. I teased it earlier. I've buried the lead. Be joined momentarily by the most recent top dragster winner on the NHRA national event tour and the current leader in the clubhouse, if you will, top dragster national points leader, Clint Geisey. All right. Joined now by by far the hottest name in the fast brackets, current leader in national points in the NHRA top dragster, winner of now four NHRA top dragster events this season, including last week's national event in Brainerd, Minnesota, here with Clint Geisy. Clint, thank you for taking some time out of your day. Thanks for joining the show, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. It means a lot to uh, you know be invited on. So Brainerd, last weekend, your first national event win and couldn't have come at a better time, right? You started the season, as most are aware, red hot, won won, uh, three of the first four divisional events that you attended, led uh, the point national points and divisional points as a result of that, basically all season up until a week ago where Dylan Haug's hot streak in Seattle, where you were at 
Uh, yep. Dylan won both days. We talked about that last week on the show. He takes over the national points lead. You make the trip to Brainerd. I, I guess let's just start there. Like, so tell me about your mindset leaving home. Obviously, I assume a trip like this was planned well in advance of the past week. Yeah, you know, we had talked about doing Brainerd after we won Woodburn. Um, you know, we had a number of people coming up to us going, you know, you got to start looking at national national point stuff. And so we did. And we kind of really started looking at where do we pick up the national event points? Because being from the Seattle area, it's not, I don't have a large group to pick from unless I really want to do a lot of driving. And so we kind of, you know, earmarked uh, Sonoma, Seattle, uh, Brainerd is, you know, we're going to attack those ones first and see how we do. So we, we knew we were going to go to Brainerd after the Seattle Divisional event. Uh, went to Seattle and got stomped. Just a couple, you know, a couple tight races and it's just the way it went. So it was uh, a little tough. But yeah, we, we knew we packed up straight after that. And, you know, my house is, is 10 minutes from the track. We didn't even go home. We just took off and started driving. So. Okay. From the double in Seattle? Yeah. Yep. No. <laughs> and just for reference, because we get so spoiled on this side of the country, like you pack up, go to Brainerd, Minnesota, which is without question, one of your five closest national events. How far from your door to Brainerd? Uh, it was about 25 hours. <laughs> 25. And, I mean, we we were talking off air, you're 20 hours from Vegas, where, where you spent the, you know, a couple weeks out of the out of the spring months. So no stranger to, to getting on the road, but this is a little bit different. You're making the trek 25 hours one way for one single event, not knowing yeah. that it's going to end as positively as it did. Like what was the, what were your expectations going in? Um, my expectations were, you know, first and foremost, we wanted to go have a good time. It's a race we hadn't gone to. We'd heard about the zoo. We'd kind of, you know, done all that. And uh, being in the national points position we're in, it was kind of like, you know, let's just go enjoy it. Let's make the best of it. Um, but at the same time, it was like, we got to make sure that we're going to take this seriously and we're going to go put our, you know, our era game on and, you know, let's try and go some rounds. Let's make it worth the drive. You know, I had in my mind, you know, if we could get to the third round, then I was going to call that successful trip, right? We can basically make up the ground that Dylan had got on us there at the Seattle Divisional. And um, so that was kind of the goal. And obviously you leave with, with your first national event win, but it's not as if you hadn't been close. I think you were runner up in Seattle a year ago. Like as you look back on it now, what's the, what was the toughest round or maybe not even on the track, but preparing for like mentally, what, what was the round you were most nervous for? Is it first round? Is it final round? Is it something in between? No, it was first round. Actually, you know, it's uh, the final round because we had already surpassed kind of what I was hoping to do. It wasn't that there wasn't a level of nerves there, but it was kind of like, even, even if we can't seal the deal, it was, it was still a good trip. Whereas the first round we're going, okay, we, we, you know, drove all this way to get here, spent all the money and fuel to get here. And it was, uh, don't, uh, don't screw it up now round one. So and that there was some pressure, there, you know, but uh, no doubt. And I, it seems like, like you, at least in my experience, you, you get through that and then it's like, oh man, this is, this is awesome. This is fun. This is what we came for. And then as it gets closer to like, you know, what seemed like kind of maybe a pipe dream, even leaving home, like there's no way we're going to go all the way out there and win the race and take over the national points lead. And then as it gets closer, like that, that pie in the sky theory becomes a little bit more real. Like it yeah. sounds like by the final, you felt like you were kind of playing with house money, but there's got to be a point of like, oh my God, this could actually happen. 
Yeah. Well, and I would say uh, when we made it through, when we were racing on Sunday, we got through Saturday night um, and we knew we were racing on Sunday. Yeah. It was kind of like, okay. And I, I remember thinking to myself more than once, like it, you need to capitalize on this opportunity. You know, you need to, you need to see this through. You need to pay attention to the small details and you need to uh, make the most of kind of the opportunity you had in front of you. And so that was, that was kind of the mindset going into it. Um, had a good friend that goes and went with me on this one. We raced together fairly often and he's pretty good at, at paying attention to some small details. So we kind of went on the, you know, divide and conquer and let's, you know, make sure the other one doesn't, you know, over, you know, overlook something. So yeah, it was, it was a good feeling going into Sunday, but I, you know, had that thought that we, we got to make this happen. You know, we've come this far, let's, let's get it done. Yeah. No question. Awesome stuff. So I know racers in your region are familiar with your background, familiar with your work. For those of us from elsewhere, our, our listeners from around the country, this looks like an overnight success. Like obviously like most your overnight success is years in the making. I know. Take me back to the backstory. What's your, how did this get started for you? What's your earliest memory around racing? Uh, so I don't know if they do it across the country, but in, in this area, they have the high school drives. And so in high school, you know, 17 years old, got my first, uh, first vehicle with a 76 Chevy pickup truck and auto shop, like a lot of the other kids, they got the flyers on the wall, come out and do this. And so we did and had a good time, had, you know, went a couple rounds there. And my, I had known that my dad used to race when he was younger, before me and my brother were born. He got out of it when we were born. And then my mom's dad um, actually used to drag race years ago, held a couple different stock records. And I was F stock or something way back when. So, so it was kind of in the blood and in the family a little bit, but there was a, a gap there. So I started doing it there in high school. And uh, I'll never forget. It was the next morning after the, the high school drags were over and, and I come out of the living room. It's a Saturday morning or whatever it was. And my dad's sitting there flipping through a summer magazine. He goes, hey, sit down. Let's have a conversation. I said, okay. And he goes, so me and your mom have been talking. We've got two options. Do you want to make your truck a little faster for next year's racing or do you want to build a race car? It's like, you got to build a race car. I'm like, how can you not? And, and so that's kind of where it picked back up. And so we built a... Uh, a pro bracket car first and then super pro bracket car and you know after a year or two that wasn't enough so he built a super gas car and it was going to be well we both get to drive this and i never got to drive it so then i i went a different route and started building you know we're wanting a dragster so we built my first one gosh i think we got that on the track maybe 15 16 years ago and you know race that in super car for a while and then uh around here when they made the move from top comp is what they called it for a while we went to top dragster top sportsman that first year i jumped into top dragster and you know we've been doing that ever since i don't know if it's been you know eight nine ten years however long it's been but i've been doing that <clears throat> got the car i have now in 2015 bought it brand new from spitzer okay. and then this season obviously it's there's been a, a lightning in the bottle moment right do you yeah. feel like there was did, Maybe not to this level, but did you see it coming? Did you feel things coming together to to anything anything near this level? Nowhere near this level, I guess. Um, for me, I've always or I've always felt like I'll go out there and, and every time I lose a round, whether it's first round or, or whatever round it was, I can always look back and go, I should have done this differently. And I think every drag racer can, right? It's easy to win them all after the fact, but 
I felt like for so many years that it was, I was just missing that one, the one little thing, right? I was, I was close. I was close. I was close. And we'd have some success here and there, but it was, it was right there. Um, and then over the last year, you know, I've had some changes in my personal life. You, you surround yourself with some really good people. You, you, you learn what support really is versus not having that support outside the race, right? When, when you, when you go to do this and you go to a race, it's important that you have that support. And so in the last year, I've been able to put some of those pieces in place. And, and to me, that's, that's been the biggest change. And that's what I can attribute success to uh, being able to focus on what I'm trying to do. But no, it is, uh, <laughs> it's incredible. Like when, I don't know, I, I know of racers that are, are able to, to separate that, like things aren't great in life and they're still great on the racetrack. I've never been able to, like, I feel like when things aren't great in, in life outside of racing, it, it definitely reflects, you know what I mean? It, just to your point, it's just easier to, for everything to click when everything is clicking. Right. Yeah. Um, this season starts with the, the big win down in, in Vegas. And then obviously just snowballs from there. Like, did it, has it happened so quickly? Like, I imagine you've had some time to digest along the way and kind of, kind of pinch yourself. Like, has there been a, I don't know if it's a, a catalyst or a, a moment where you said, oh, wow, like, look at what we're doing here. Like, we got a chance to do some really big things. Uh, yeah, actually, I would say it was after we won Brandon. You know, for me, it was those first three happened, you know, Vegas happened. I was like, oh, that was cool. But you don't really like it. And then, you, then we went to Boise and won that next one. It's like, what in the heck's going on? And, and again, you're, you're kind of in this surreal moment. And it, you know, for me, you almost went for it to just kind of start falling apart a little bit. And then the first Woodburn win happens and everybody starts talking about, oh, you got to, you got to start chasing these points and your, your head's kind of spinning a little bit. And then, um, you know, honestly, after the Seattle double, we didn't perform that well. I kind of thought, okay, you know, maybe this is, this is where things normalize a little bit again. So then to go back out to Brainerd and win that, I kind of went, okay. You know, this, this is for real. Like we can, we can do this. We got to keep our head screwed on straight, but, but we, we got a shot. We can do this. So uh, that's, that's, yeah, that's had a lot of time, 25 hours of driving to reflect on a little bit, but I would say after, <laughs> after that win, yeah, that was kind of that win. Yeah. It has a way of putting things into perspective. So with that in mind, as we, as we look forward I mean, right now, you're sitting at 597 points, which is a, is a massive season ending score. And we're still in August, right? Um, just looking back, uh, in recent years, in the last five years, the score that you have now actually wins the world championship two out of the last five years, if you didn't improve a single round. Um, and it seems like four of the last five, 608 is wins it. That's, that's a round away. Like that seems very attainable at this point. Um, you've got one divisional event, two national events remaining at which you can improve your score. Is that accurate? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So is it Vegas, Vegas, Pomona, or is it Something closer Honestly, to home? They don't, they don't have top drags for the Vegas National. Oh, okay. Okay. So for me, I'm going to try and do it for national events. Yep. Um, I'm going to do, you know, Acton, our, our home division had a double. This actually is going on right now. Right. Chose to skip that one because, well, for a number of reasons. It's a double and I can only claim one of them. It, the track's at a lot of altitude, so it, my setup just isn't tuned in to do that. I don't think that would give me the best shot, so... I'm choosing to go to the Vegas division at the end of the year. We had success there early. I, I know what the combination needs to be to make that work. So we'll go down there and do that. <clears throat> and then we'll do the Pomona national event there to finish the year out. Um, you know, it's, it's 
fortunate if you want to look at it. I've got a 40-pointer divisional and a 40-point national event I'm sitting on, so I don't have to go a lot of rounds to improve. And so, you know, we'll, we'll try to do it doing that unless something weird happens and we can pick up um, another national somewhere, but it'd be like in, in Texas or something. That's that's the, the time I would have <laughs> We don't want to think about that just yet. Yeah. So I guess that my my follow up to the the conversation when we were going down earlier is that the 597 point score is tremendous. Like I say, like you said, you've got an opportunity to improve. Normally, it'd be easy from the outside to say like, oh, that's a pretty comfortable spot. But you've got Dylan Haug, you've got Blake Peevler, among others, you know, breathing down yep. your neck. Like it feels like a year that that a score like that might not necessarily hold up. Like what is your I don't know. Uh, obviously, you've got respect for those guys, but what is the thought process going forward? My thought process is it, 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 easy to say, hard to do, but I'm really trying not to pay attention to what they're doing. I can't control it. Those guys are great racers. They're going to go out and they're going to do what they're going to do. Um, we keep looking. I've got a score in my head of 650. That, that's my target. I need five more runs. And so I'm looking at the last two races and, and I'm going, if I can get to 650, uh, hopefully mission accomplished, right? If I can do that. So, so that, that's, that is what I'm, if I can, you know, how do I get a couple more rounds to get to get me there before the end? Man, I say across the board, like, you know, I'm used to super comp, super gas, where there's typically more points on the table uh, mm -hmm. than, in, than in the typical top drag race. And 650 is the, the benchmark period. I'm like, you put up 650 and, and you don't win. You just go shake the man or woman's hand that did and say, you know, good job, right? You put a 650 in top drag street. I'd have to look back. I don't think that's ever been done, right? So yes, that should absolutely win. Like, I think, I don't know. I think 620 is a score is kind of the 650 in TD just because the points aren't necessarily on the, on the, on the same level. But man, what, how cool is it? Like you talked about the, the geographic disadvantage, if you will, or the hurdles, just living where you live to chase a national championship. How cool is it that at least right now, if we take a snapshot in late August, two of the three biggest contenders, if you will, are both division six cars. Like that's pretty rare. Yeah. Well, and even if you want to factor into that, Jim Glenn's sitting at number six, he's another sure. division guy. So you've got, I actually do, you know, step back. I do take a lot of pride in that because division six, sometimes I don't, my my perspective is sometimes they're not thought of as highly as some of the other divisions because we just don't have the amount of races we can go to. It's harder. Oh, not say harder. We got to travel more to put up the points totals when it's when it's doing it. So the fact that we got three guys in our division in the classroom, in the top ten, makes me proud. Right? It makes me proud to say, yeah, I'm part of that. Um, so I'm hoping at the end of the year, you know, we're all sitting there strong. However, it, however it comes out, I think it's really. Uh, of a feather in the cap of the division that look it looks like we were able to do this year so um it's a good thing yeah no the the challenge of that i mean if you go back a decade like it maybe further jackie alley like there wasn't many national champions from that region recently it's it's kicked up right with jim glenn and paul nero and i'm probably missing a couple more along the way but yeah, no, it's it's got to be everybody takes some degree of of regional pride and especially from from that area on the national level just because it's so hard to get to. Like I definitely see where you're coming from there. Yeah. No, it's uh it's yeah, it's not lost to me. I've been watching it for that. It's, it's kind of cool. You know, it's, it's exciting. So hope, hopefully at the end, you know, I can be on top but at the end, at the end of the day it's been it's been a great year. It makes me proud to be with those guys and, and see I, what we talked about it a little bit off air. 
Brainerd, the zoo, it's one of one, right? Like that, that there's, there's no, I don't know if there's an event period quite like the Brainerd national event. There's certainly not a drag race, anything, anything like the Brainerd national event. Yeah. I don't know if you'll ever go back, but takeaways from the Brainerd experience just on the whole. Oh man. Uh, the zoo is something to behold. You can't, you can't describe it. You gotta see it. Um, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> it, uh, <laughs> I, I guess if I was going to tell somebody about the Brainerd event, I would say it's a, there's a big party going on and there's also a drag race going on if you want to go check that out. But but it's a good time. Um, I was caught off guard a little bit by the weather there, how drastically it changed. Um, really had to pay attention, a lot of attention to that. And we had a lot of gusty winds one day and then the very next day we got up and it was 20 degrees hotter and the humidity was through the roof and then we got up the next day and the temperature had dropped back down but the humidity was still there and we had a tailwind so the weather was I, yeah it was it was like you're going to a whole different racetrack every single day but um i thought the track was or the event was run well i will i would go back to it absolutely um had a good time uh, yeah it's it's a, it's a good place i enjoyed it Definitely, definitely a cool event. Um, I'm sure you've got a a, a list of of people to, to thank that have been a part of this. I want to give you this uh, this platform to, to to have a few minutes to uh, to shed some light on the people that make this possible for you. Oh yeah, thanks, man. It's uh, you know Rada Paint has been the sponsor of my car for about nine years now. They're they're a great local paint company. Uh, they do interior paints and exterior paints, things like that. So uh, great having them on board. Uh, my parents, they've been with me, you know, we, we started doing this way back when with the, with the pro car and they've been nothing but supportive from day one. And I would say that they are as excited about what's going on right now, if not more so than I am. So, uh, without those, those two, you know, none of this would be possible. Um, you know, I, I speak about the, the support system and some things that have changed in my personal life around me. Uh, a huge part of that is my girlfriend, Mandy. She's, uh, beyond what I could ever expect out of somebody in this situation. Um, she goes anywhere from what well, Sunday when we were leaving Seattle to, to, to go to uh, Brainerd. She packed up in the morning and left, did all the grocery shopping, took all my laundry. I mean, made sure there was nothing I had to worry about, stayed at my house. I mean, it just took care of that. And then, um, you know, then I got a really good group of, of racing friends that you know, we, we help each other out. We have a good time. Uh, you know, Chris, Phil, John, Brian, you know, all those guys. It, uh, yeah, it, it makes it a whole lot, lot more enjoyable and exciting. You can, you can have those guys in the corner. So. Awesome, man. Well, I can't wait to, uh, to watch this progress, see how this all plays out. I'll say, like, I'm, I'm torn because you go in Vegas and Pomona for the last two, right? So there's a part of me that wants to say, Clint, I just hope like it's over going in that. I hope no one gets to your 597 to where you can just kick back and enjoy that. And because there is like the 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 pressure of being in that points chase there is like nothing else, right? Because it's the last two events. Everybody knows what has to happen in case anybody forgets. Reinhardt's on the PA just reminding you every freaking round. You know, I mean, it's there's just a whole another level to it. But then part of me is like, man. You, you need to experience that and win it 
Like that's the coolest part. You know what I mean? Is to actually go there with everything on the table and come out. So either way, we're cheering you on. We're rooting for you. I can't wait to see how it shakes down and uh, and and love to have you back on the show at the at season's end to uh, to kind of give your version of it. It'd be awesome. Oh, I hope I'm here. Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> Awesome, man. Well, congratulations on a stellar season to this point. Best of luck going forward. And thanks for taking some time with us here on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, guys. All right, that's it. That's the show. Shouts to Clint Geisy. He's him. Shouts to Zach Fulcher right now. He's himmer. Shouts to Chris Bear. That dude is right now, 2023. That dude is the himmest him. Actually, shouts to Ken. Shouts to Ken Bear. He's the himmest. Ken Bear, definitely the himmest. Thank you, Clint Geisy. Thank you, Big Jed. Thanks, Producer Mark, Paige Hamlin, everybody here making it happen behind the scenes. I look forward to Jed rejoining me next week here on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. Look forward to seeing you then. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss or at least reference This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th. <laughs>